I am Akria Jaffe, founder of The British Blacklist, and I am here with a wonderful, wonderful, phenomenal lady who's actually pretty groundbreaking. I don't know if she knows that she's groundbreaking. I don't know if she say that she's groundbreaking. However, I will let this wonderful woman introduce herself. Um, please tell us who you are and what you do. Hi everyone, I'm Selma, Selma Nichols. I am founder and casting director at Looks Like Me. And yes, we cast for ads, campaigns, music videos, film and TV. What do you describe that skill as? Because I suppose I can say I'm a writer, journalist, I'm a producer, I'm a businesswoman, I'm a founder. So how do you describe what you do? How I describe what I do is I find or I source underrepresented talent or talent that talent that wants to get into entertainment. So that's what I do. I source great talent that's going to execute and illuminate brands, campaigns, stories to the world, to the public. How would you describe your life right now in a word or a sentence? I would describe my life right now as content. Yeah, in one word, I am content. I have found an internal peace and I have accomplished what I set out to do. And that makes me content. You're obviously only 16, however. <laughs> I love it. How old? Yeah, I'm 16. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> we'll stick to that. But, you know, it's not often that people are content so early in their lives. And I, I mean, obviously, you're a grown ass woman and you're a mother. However, content comes, tends to come, I don't know, 50s, 60s, possibly. Maybe I'm wrong. But I think you're, and just for the people listening, she's a long way off 50. <laughs> she is a bit I'm away from 50. No one near it. But I'm saying, but it's just it's interesting because where you are at life, where I figure the age that you are, to say that your content is huge. Yeah, I'm content. I'm at peace. I'm fulfilled. I think it's the thing where I set myself a goal in 2015. And I went tunnel visioned and just focused on that goal. I sacrificed a lot, friends, family, parties, funerals, weddings, christenings. No one really saw me for the past seven years while I've been focusing on building and achieving the goal that I set out to do. And once I accomplished, once I, when I realized that the thing that I've been dreaming about, I was actually living within, that's when I realized, aha, I've arrived. I'm doing what I love and I'm impacting the people that I want to be able to impact. What was that like when you had to shut down and shut off? Because I think I did that during my time with the roller coaster ride of launching the British Blacklist. But I don't know if I completely switched off from people, possibly immaturity, possibly I wanted to party, possibly that I, I was still entrenched with my friends and possibly because I was concerned about people thinking, oh, she's she's leaving us. She's, you know what I mean? You know, when you're not there for your friends when they need you and stuff like that. I know I've been very, felt very pulled in those directions and being a mother. What was that like when you switched off? What was the reaction to your switching off? Did people get it? No. So what I decided to do, so just going back a bit. So it looks like me is a casting business that raises the profile of underrepresented people and all people, but we shine a light and illuminate and amplify Black stories. So I started right at the bottom and I knew that I had so much to figure out, understand in order to display what it is I'm trying to say to the world. So the only way I saw that possible was to stay closed, stay head down and 
by doing that, I realized what I was able to, to achieve. So alongside of the business, the only other thing that mattered to me is being a mother. So as mother first, and through my mothering of my daughter, that's what led me to do the business. So those two things were my only two things I had to focus on. People didn't like it. Mm. Family members were like, I need to see you. Where are you? And you know, come to the party, come to the funeral. Nah, I lost friends. Okay. So it was the beginning of a seven year transition of me saying, okay, certain things I've got, I've got to let go of. Those that are with me are watching from the sidelines, cheering me on, knowing that I'm doing something that is bigger than myself. I'm serving something bigger than myself. And so I was prepared to lose whoever I needed to lose on that way, on that journey. As long as my daughter's okay and I'm doing what I need to do, figuring out to make this business move forward, that's all that mattered. So I sacrificed anything else. Who are you? Who, where, who, <laughs> because that's a lot of foresight or strength. And maybe I'm being a bit like, damn, I should have done that too. I'm hearing you and I'm feeling inspired. And like, because I'm like, oh my God, imagine doing that and having the criticism. So who were you as a child? Like in school, were you that like, I don't give a damn. I'm not your friend. Oh, Jesus. In school, I was the kid that always asked questions. I was the kid that if things didn't make sense, I'm asking why. I was the kid that found my passion in performing arts quite early in life. I realized that the world of performance allowed a space to escape and become whatever it is you wanted to become in that space. So that's what I did. I found dance at the age of 12 in secondary school. I was a bit rebellious and a teacher. The deputy head saw a talent in me through dance and she was like, oh, Selma, you know, you should consider doing the place youth group audition. You never know what could happen. So I was like, okay. So I auditioned and I got in and I did that twice a week at Place Theatre in London, Euston. And alongside that, I went to WAC. Weekends Arts College. I went there every Sunday. But I went to old school work, which was in Kentish Town. And he was there from like 9am in the morning on a Sunday to 6pm in the evening. And I was a black West Indian woman that used wow. to make rice and peas and brown stew chicken for, for lunch. It was a family. It was beautiful. So that was my, I found my joy in entertainment from a very young age, yeah. So you were a why person. And so your, your big thing was why is in the industry representing me when I know me as a black girl is so amazing. Black is beautiful. We're amazing. Why are we not being visualized? Why are we not being seen? When did that why start kicking in from that perspective? That why kicked in at the age of, I was in my early thirties. I had given birth to a wonderful, beautiful little girl. And she started questioning she started asking me to look, she wants to look like Elsa and Anna. She was saying to me, mum, you look more beautiful if your hair was straight like the lady on the advert. Yeah. She was the one that said to me, mummy, have your hair straight like auntie. You know, auntie's wig looks nice. She was the one that was asking certain questions. I was like, what well, for this little girl? Like, why is she asking me so many questions about how she looks and wanting to look like something other than herself? And only by listening to her and actively listening, I realized that she was forming her sense of identity in this world. And even though she had black books and black dolls and and everyone in the family is black, she wasn't seeing herself represented in the wider 
sense of media, yeah, and advertising, broadcasting. So at that stage, if she did watch anything on TV, it might have been Doc McStuffin or Princess and the Frog. And then it was only when she watched the film Annie with Jamie Foxx and Quavangene. When she saw her, she said, mummy, mummy, she is beautiful and she looks like me. That was the moment when the light bulb went off and I realised, okay, this little girl needs to see more imagery that looks like her represented in mainstream media. And then I was a theatre producer at the time and I thought, okay, I've got the skills to do great work for the company I'm working for. What would happen if I use those skills now to help my daughter's growth mindset so that she can see who she is in this world and doesn't have to question or want to be like anybody else. And if that can work, I wonder what the impact I could have on other children and other people. Because at that stage, I didn't really care not seeing myself represented in mainstream media. It wasn't something that I I was numb to. I just accepted that was the way things were. But when the, when a child is asking you certain questions and you don't know the answers, you got to go figure it out. So it was my duty of care to figure out why there was a lack of representation of the little black girl and the little black dark skin girl as that and make it happen. So that's how it started. You know, I had the moment when my, with my daughter and it is that motivation because you just want your children, a lot of us want our children just to have an easy life and not have the stresses and face the stresses. And one time I was putting a weave in my hair and it was a curly weave. But it wasn't my texture. We was like a looser curl. And my daughter was just staring at me, which is fine. You know, they watch what you do. And in that moment, I said, nah, I've got to stop. So yeah. I think I, I wore the weave. But then afterwards, I was like, shave my hair. I shaved my hair anyway. Yeah. But I made sure that my daughter saw that hair is not the be all and end all. And natural hair is okay. And big hair or just, it's just that moment. It's sometimes the children that hold the mirror up to ourselves. Exactly. And so I hear what you're saying about the, your daughter being the catalyst for affecting change. What was yeah. it like in those years? Like, who were you? Where were you at? Were you securing yourself? So, yes, luckily, when she was a baby, she was at six months. And bef- before I had her to where she was six months, I used to wear a wig, a bob wig. And that was my look. Yeah. And I was addicted to the wig. The wig, I slept in the wig, lived in the wig. Yeah. And then one day she was six months and I took the wig off. And the shock horror on her face, (laughs) the shock horror made me think, oh my God, like what? This is the first time she's seen me. She looks shook, like, who who are you? And I never put the wig on again after that. I threw it away at an outside bin and the wig. And then I just stayed with my natural hair. And I realized that, you know, I have to lead by example. And that was that. So I, as I said, I was a theatre producer, loved what I was doing in Theatreland, working at a company called London International Festival of Theatre. I was bringing art creativity from on a local, national and international level into Tottenham and merging the two worlds together. Loved it. But then I realised I was exposing her to a lot of the work that I was producing and working with. And there wasn't that great representation there either. So I realised, okay, I'm doing great stuff here. Now it's time to do great stuff in my home for my child, for other children. And then hopefully that will disseminate into helping and supporting other people as well. So, yeah. Just sort of maybe ask you at the beginning, what's your heritage and what's your star sign? So what's beautiful is my heritage is, dad's side is Jamaican all the way through. Mum is from Liverpool. 
Her mum is from, was born in Wales, married to a Bayesian, my granddad. But her mother is Irish and Nigerian. So there's a mixture of Irish, Nigerian, Bayesian, Liverpoolian, Scouse. You know, you just saw um, Top Boy the other day with the Scouse family, yeah? And then you've got Jamaican. So there's a, it's a melting pot of lovely, lovely stuff. I was going to say, just before we, what starts on here? Scorpio. That's why I love you. I'm born, yeah, I'm born Guy, Guy Fawkes Night, 5th of November. You'll never forget. I'm 14th of November. This is why. <laughs> energy is just, when it is, I was, yeah. You know, people say, I was going to say Scorpio, but there's a yeah. little energy that you can feel. I was like, yeah, there's, there's some, there's some, <laughs> some, some. I feel it. That's fine. Yeah. Twins, man. Um, and you're a November one as well. That makes a difference. What was I going to say? Liverpool accent in top way. Was it good or not? Because I've seen people, some people say it was rubbish. I thought it was great, but I'm a Londoner. It was okay. Wow. It was okay. I mean, I lived with I, I lived with a family that are strong scousers in London, so it was okay. The the thing I remember most about that scouse family is Lauren. <laughs> Does him say Lauren? Do you know what I mean? That's the most, that's the thing I remember about that family. But yeah, it was okay. That's I, I, I would I would have cast it slightly. I mean, the casting was great in regards to the role and the guy was fantastic. But yeah, the accent could have been a bit more strong. Do you know? Oh my god! And then you, you said stronger. I can stronger. hear it. Yeah. Good. Um, <laughs> that's. Do you know what? Just and and it, it, just to talk about the work that you do in regards to casting and what you consider and how you consider people. It's so important to have authenticity in the room it is. because. Me as a Londoner, I thought his Scouse accent was brilliant. Then I'm seeing people say, nah, like on Twitter when the, you know, the yeah. feedback, not about his acting, brilliant. And I have seen people say, yeah, that was a good accent. But, the, you know, a few Liverpoolians, Scousers, whatever, were like, nah, man, this is not cool. Yeah. You're, talk about authenticity in the room and why it's important to have that element of consideration when you're casting characters. The thing is, I... I, th- I think about this a lot and regards to that, that those characters and any character that has a different dialect or accent, I think something happens once they're in the room. So they may come in with a strong accent or dialect, but then it may be slightly watered down to make it understandable for others. Yeah. Do you know, so like when I've seen anyone do stuff and they're still speaking in a Jamaican accent, mm. I'm like, why can't they just get the raw Jamaican? Do you know, why do they sound like they're Saint Lucian or Trinidadian? Like, you know, why is it so, you know, so I think yeah. things are then shaped to sound to be palatable or easy to understand for others mm. rather than just put in the strong raw accent or dialect. People will figure it out. Not everyone has to understand everything, you know? People can use their ears to listen, rewind if they need to, to try and get it. I think the industry patronises the audience way too much. And there are shows that we'll watch regardless. I mean, we've got people, you know, the Nollywood industry, Bollywood industry, people, though there are subtitles there, you have nowadays, you have the option to do subtitles. And people pick stuff up. We do, you know, the whole industry listens to Afrobeats, listens to reggae, dancehall. You've got other cultures, other races listening to music where even sometimes I'm like, what the hell did they just say? But I'm still chatting. I'll mix up the words and say whatever I buy. And I get the gist of things, of tunes. I don't understand the the full language. I'm not Nigerian, I'm Ghanaian. But yeah, I will listen to an Afrobeat tune and just be singing along and get the gist somehow. I definitely agree with you in that kind of, there's sometimes let people get it, but I also understand something that is universally understood that makes the the show move forward. 
So where do you come in when you, you come and say, I'm going to cast your thing for you? How do you get that contract? How do you, where, what happens? What's really interesting is all the work I have ever received or done, it's been through recommendation. Wow. It's tough. So unless someone recommends me for something, there ain't no work coming through. When I started casting, I stumbled into it. It wasn't something that I knew even existed. And it was interesting because I had a mentor at the time who I was doing campaigns and doing shoots and what have you. And she was there. And I said to her one day, as someone, as a black woman, one of the top black women in media, where do I sit? Where, what skills do you see in me? And where do I sit? And she said, casting. You have a great eye for casting talent. From that day, that's it. I walked out of our office, that's me, I'm casting. <laughs> and then I learned the craft of casting. And now you have the casting course at the National Film and TV School. Mm. That wasn't there when I started, you know? So there was no way in. It was like a brick wall. You've got to find an invisible door to how to, how do you get through, you know? And so I created my own door and that's... I'm looking confused. How do you teach casting, please? Well, I haven't done the course. The course came out in 2020. Yeah. So the course will be, um, I believe, it's, it's done, it's organised with Shaheen Bay and the oh, Casting yeah. Guild. So they will have different casting directors that will come in and teach the craft, the art form of casting. And you get to meet different professionals. And, you know, so I've read about the course. And it's something that, for me, I definitely would love to do at some point just to do it, you know, to make sure that all the things I've been doing the last seven years actually marry up to what the course is offering. But yeah, I created my own door into casting and kept my head down. And when I say kept my head down and focus, somebody said to me to do this. I started Looks Like Me in 2015. And in 2016, I was having a conversation with Charles Venn. And I said to him, listen, I'm out here in these streets doing the work. And he was like, you know what? You need to meet my agent. And I was like, who's your agent? And it was Femi from Identity. And I had a conversation with Femi. And he's the one that said to me, the work you're doing right now is great. Keep your head down, stay focused, and you will surpass where you even think you can achieve. And they were his words to me. Anyone that gave me words, I took it on, put it in my, in my bag. And I went forward with it. So it's thanks to Femi that I stay tunnel visioned and just kept my head down and focused. Yeah, I created my own door. And I realized being unapologetically black doesn't make me anti-white. So I celebrate all people. Yeah. But I illuminate and amplify the stories, the underrepresented people and groups that we may not see or hear. I choose to shine an extra light on them. You know, Star Size do such a number on us. I'm sitting there like, yeah. <laughs> You sound like me in my beliefs and conviction in unapologetically black. I just genuinely care so much about my community. And shout out to Femi, who's a fellow Scorpio too. So 2016, you launched look like, Looks Like yeah. Me. What was your first campaign that made you say, yeah, this makes sense? So the first thing I did was um, pre-launch, I brought my friends and family's children together. And I was like, I just want to see black joy I want to see our children in all their hues, with all their different hair textures. I just want to see them having fun. And so friends and family's kids were like, yeah, we're up for that. Let's do this. So I talked to different children on different locations. So one was Broadwater Farm by the wreck. One was in the meadow up in Kingston. So lots of different places. And my skill is work. One of my skills are working with young people. So 
I was able to create the narrative of I was having fun and just being free. And through that, I had a photographer and stylist that worked with me as well. And then we created some really beautiful imagery of these children. But then if I look at my daughter, her resting face can sometimes look like she's just vexed. So I'm like, you know, I want to capture that as well. I want to capture all sides of these children's personalities. When I did that and I saw the images, I was like, okay, you can have more than one black child in a campaign and it's okay. So any rules and regulations of how things were done, I'm like, I'm here to destroy that, mash that up and start again, build my own cake, right? That was when I realized that, aha, I'm on the right track. I don't see this anywhere. So I'm now going to create this. When I launched... The story is, I was at Lyft at the time while I was building this. What's and So Lyft, London International Festival of Theatre. Oh, so okay. I worked as a producer while I was creating this content. And I would go back to the team and say, what do you think about this? And they'd be like, oh, Selma, this is amazing, really great. But obviously to everybody in the office, I'm just doing this passion project on the side, right? And then my contract was ending as a theatre producer. Usually I would try and negotiate for it to be renewed, but I was like, no, this time I've got to just take the leap of faith. So I had my lookbook with all the images of the children. So on my last day, I said to the executive director, Becky Bateson, and the artistic director, Mark Ball, who's now at the South Bank, I said to them, it's my last day, last moment, I'm leaving now. And I feel like I'm on the cliff edge with my daughter and I'm about to jump off the cliff and I don't know if my parachute's gonna open up. I just don't know. Um, anyway, it's been great working with you, bye. And I left to go and do, pick up my daughter from nursery, right? By the time I got home from the nursery run, I had an email from a gentleman called Richard Huntington at Saatchi and Saatchi. And he said that Becky Bateson had just emailed him my lookbook in regards to looks like me. And he thinks it's fantastic. Come into my office, we need to talk. I slept good that night because I was like, wow. wow, like the parachute, I didn't die. The parachute <laughs> came up, but me and my daughter are now in the air, right? And then on the day that I launched Looks Like Me, he tweeted about us saying something along the lines of, looks like me are doing something great for the industry, for the culture and the economy. And that then got the attention of other people within the media. That's when I realized his influence and power in the industry and who, as I said, the chairman of Saatchi and Saatchi. And then I met the wonderful Karen Blackett. Yeah, and I had 20 minutes to speak with her in her office. And on the 18th minute, I was like, listen, yeah, I've just started. I don't know what I'm doing out here, but I know I'm doing something right. Will you be my mentor? And she said to me, I will never leave your side. Oh, bless. And yeah, so knowing that you have these different powerful figure heads that are leading in the industry believing in your concept it feel, it fuels you up with some different type of confidence and so I knew then that this was the start of me doing something great I started off as an agent because I didn't know what casting was so I started off as an agent but I was casting people in campaigns not realizing the title of the role that I was doing and the yeah. first question that you asked the first campaign that I did was the so white campaign so we did Christmas so white that was with financial investment from Adland. So all the different advertisers, Google, Saatchi, different media companies were funded us to create content of black families, different types of black families that celebrate Christmas. And that, yeah, that was the first thing I did. We did Christmas So White, Easter So White, Summer So White. And so please, 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 please. please. <laughs> how, how, how it happened for me that I heard about you. I started to see these kids looking like characters from a certain film that had the whole world going nuts. 
I can't remember which of the first images I saw, which character, but obviously it was Black Panther. And you know what struck me was that the images were so clean, were so beautiful, were so sharp, were so on point, were so, such a good characterization of the characters we were starting to see were coming out from a film that the world was literally chomping at the bit to see. It just landed. I was just like, what the? It was amazing. What was the concept? How did that come about? And what, give me that first and I'll come into the next bit. Okay, so I had just finished Summer So White campaign and I had done my first job casting role, a professional casting job for back to school for Tesco. And I did something for Nickelodeon and I think I did something for Sainsbury's. And then it was Silence of the Lambs. It was quiet, no work coming in. There was no money. I'm a single mother. And I'm like, <laughs> what am I doing out here? Yeah. And then images of the Black Panther started popping up on social media. The images of like just them doing certain poses or, you know, and I'm sitting in my house and I'm scrolling on social media and I start showing Riley Ann. Because obviously, remember, I'm tunnel vision, just me and her. So I'm showing her these images and then she jumps up and starts doing them. And I'm like, ah, I'm looking at her and I'm like, hmm. And she's like, yeah, she's doing, you know, she's really like giving it. And I'm like, okay. But outwardly, she's a very, she was at that point in her life, she was a very shy child in the public. But in the house, she was giving it to me. And so I was watching her and I was like, "Mm mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, it's a Black Panther. That's Kenya. Ah, and the other role, that's Malachi. Oh my God. And so-and-so, that's so-and-so. Like, and then, so I knew at that point, and I started to look at, I started to look at more images and I realized that all the images I was seeing for the Black Panther, leading up to the Black Panther film, were adults. I was like, where's the kids? I couldn't see any kids anywhere. Yeah. I said, I can't see the kids anywhere, but I've got the kids that I know can fulfill these roles from different places that I was representing at the time. The next day, I went to Radia and was going doing ballet around the corner then the, at the Bernie Grant. And I saw the little girl, Kamaya, and I was like, yeah, she is the one. She is the one that is going to play that role. Yeah, all right. And then I went and I had a conversation with Nuna, Kenya, the two boys. And I was like, okay. And then there's Asa. And I'm like, oh my God, his role. He could be Daniel. And I'm like, yes, I've got the children. These are the children I want to work with. And then I called my old manager. So my first job into the arts was at the Bernie Grand Arts Centre when it first opened. So I worked there and my manager at the time was Gailene Gould. Oh, wow. Yeah, so Gaylene now was at the BFI. So I just phoned her. I was like, I didn't think she was going to answer. It was random. It was like a week or two before Christmas. And I just called her and I said, Gaylene, I've got this really great idea. She was like, Selms, Selms, what's going on? I was like, yeah, I've got this great idea. I really would love to create some content around representing children celebrating the film of the Black Panther. And she said, you know what? Send me a proposal, email it to me, and I will get back to you. I said, like, okay. So I said, within an hour, I sent her the proposal. Boom. She has it now on her desk. I'm realising it's Christmas. Like, ain't no one trying to look at nothing right now. And then in January, I got an email from We Are Parable to say, oh, hi, Selma. Yeah, you know, we received your proposal and we think we're going to have a look at it. And plus, many others are coming through. We'll get back to you next week. Mm. 
okay, what day next week? Oh, next week, probably Thursday. Okay, great. So now I'm sitting down, but sorry, I should say, when I had the conversation with Gaylene, she told me to, she told me to send the proposal. I sent the proposal and I realized I don't have a budget. I don't have any money. Even say she says, yes, how am I going to pay for this? But what I did have, and at the same time, I remember hearing Colin, Colin with Afro. Colin Havenegg. Yeah. He had put posts out saying, if you believe in something, you're prepared to sacrifice everything. I started seeing all these signs of like, if you believe, you make the sacrifice, take the move, take the leap. And so I had a one bedroom flat in Tottenham and I decided to put that flat on the market. I had sent through the proposal and I'm like, I'm going to let go and let God. If I'm supposed to do this work, this flat's going to get sold. So then when I spoke to Ria Parable and I put the phone down and they said, we'll get back to you next week with our decision. I then decided that I wanted to bring a cast together of an all black production because I had been doing loads of talks at advertising agencies and media agencies. And when I was going to do all these talks and productions, I was like, where are the black people? And then people would say to me, oh, you know, Selma, there just isn't the talent pool. And I was like, there isn't the talent pool? What do you mean? There must be black talent. Where are they? So I then spoke to a lady that I know called Nene, who had a company called Vine Creatives. And I was like, Nene, can you help me find the black creatives? I need a black team for what I'm about to do. And then she introduced me to Asiko, and she she introduced me to Basma Asiko is the photographer and Basma Khalifa the stylist and then I had Naomi who does the facial designer and so now I was like boom I have my team yeah so she sent me a few people but these are the people that I thought I like their work mm-hmm. so I said to all these people I'm want to book a shoot for next week on the 12th of it was the 12th of February and I'm not going to pay you till the end of February are you on board Whatever your fee is, I'm going to pay it. So there was no negotiation. This was them telling me what they wanted, right? Yeah. I then spoke to all the parents and said, listen, this is the fee. I want you to come, your child be part of this campaign. Are you all open for it? They were like, Selma, yeah, we're down. Great. So now I had the children, the cast, and I had my production team, right? I then, then I had a phone call on the Thursday from We Are Parable. And they they phoned me and they're like, Selma, you know, we've had been inundated with loads of people. And we're happy to say that you have been selected as one of the people to showcase your art for the Afrofuturistic element of pre-launch of the pre-screening of the film, Black Panther. And I said, you know what, Tian, that's great. Because I've already organised a shoot for tomorrow. <laughs> so, so whether you said yes or no, I'm doing this thing. Yeah, the thing has to get done. So she's laughing we go ahead, we did the shoot. The hip hop music is playing. Everyone is jamming. There's a vibe, there's a spirit. And then Asiko is taking pictures of the children. And then I realized my duty of care is to get on my knees and speak life into these children and, yeah. and, and allow their spirit to speak life back to me. When they're speaking life back to me, embodying the character that they, in the way that they feel, represents who they are as that character, Asiko snaps, takes that picture, boom. You get the power and the the strength. So then I said to Asiko, like, oh, then me and him worked back and forth to how I needed it to be, how I wanted it to look in regards to lighting, shading, all these different things that he now puts his finishing touches on. There was a few tweaks and I was like, yes, we've arrived. This is it. This is the look I'm looking for. I then, on the Monday morning, I sent the images over to Gaylene 
and we are powerful. And they were like, what? <laughs> they were like, wow. And I was like, yeah, I'm ready to, I, what was in my brain was now visible on paper. This is yeah. what, this is the, the, the conversation I want to have and in, introduce to the world. This is how I see our children inspired by the film and what Ryan Kluger had put together. And so the, the, I think the screening was on the Thursday. Yeah. Tuesday, I'm talking to my to my um, designer, Ahmed, and I'm like, Ahmed, I've got to get postcards. Why? I want to give a gift to the world. I want to I want to gift the world. Yeah. I need to get pop up banners. He was like, all right, so well, don't worry. Like he went to the printers. He sent did sent the information. I then had to get go and pick stuff up because I needed it for the next day. I um, decided on the Wednesday evening that in order for me, for the world to know where these images come from, I'm gonna have to allow them to just come out of looks like me on social media. Yeah. But then I just press send and they were out the night before they were gonna go to the BFI. And it just, and I was out for dinner and I just saw, I felt my phone popping off, popping, 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 popping. And I'm like, what is happening? The next day, remember I'm a mum first, I go and do the school run, get a cab, I do the school run. Ryan gets in the car, I've got the banners in the car, I've got the boxes of postcards. I'm doing this on my own. I come to the BFI with six banners on my shoulders, holding the boxes, Ryan's holding something, and I'm there and I'm like, oh guys, where do I I set this up? And I'm setting it all up by myself. And I'm doing it all on my own. And I'm tired now, yeah? And I've got my child there. So I'm like, okay, take your school uniform off. And then I think you put a leggings and a jump on or something and eat your food. Okay, put the posters up, put the postcards out so people can. And then I, t- I go in the green room and my dad's eating. We come out and I just see all these beautiful black people taking pictures by these images, living life. And I just stand there in amazement. My eyes are just watery thinking, Wow, this is what the people want. That's a yeah. Sorry, that's a long-winded way of saying that was the process. No, that wasn't long-winded because it's engaging and it's exciting because and also being a part of it because I work with We Are Parable on. So for context, guys listening, for the preview of Black Panther in association with the BFI, We Are Parable put on an exhibition, an art exhibition. So we turned the foyer. Well, I say we, they turned the foyer of the BFI into an Afrofuturistic place. Had artwork, and summer's artwork, and other things selling and stuff like that. <laughs> And so it was all part of this creating a world of Wakanda-esque place while before the big screening with Ryan Coogler, who came over in attendance. Uh, and I, I think I did a Q&A with, I can't remember, this is really bad. I did a Q&A, a pre-Q&A, and then there was a Q&A. Art Gaylene did the Q&A with Ryan after the film. Yeah. It, was a, it was a movement. It was a vibe. It was a wonderful time. Just because I want to um, always have this story documented forever and ever. <laughs> How we properly met was, you know, we had the we screened Black Panther, yeah, and then it was what was happening. I think just after Ryan Coogler had his Q and A with Galen Gould. Galen, so Galen then, so Galen stood up and said, "Is Selma Nichols in the house?" (laughs) And I was like, and I nudged the person next to me, which was you, and I said, "It's me." And you were there, put your hand up, put your hand up. I was like, yeah, I'm here. And I and I felt so nervous. And she yeah. said, Ryan Kruger would love to see you and meet you in the green room because he loves your artwork that you yes. display. And then 
as soon as he, she said that, the lights went dark, yeah. the screen lit up, and I said, Vadian, come, let's go. She's like, nah, I'm watching the film. Oh, yeah, so I said to you, excuse me, I know you don't know me, but do you mind watching my child? Because I need to go out quickly to say hello. And you was like, don't worry, your child's safe, go. Um, and then I, I, I went backstage to say oh. hello. Yeah. And what was that conversation with Brian Coogler like? That conversation was really interesting because because the, the screen went black and I jumped up because I, I didn't know that was going to happen. I had taken my boots off. So I just had my socks on, yeah? So I ran out and I spoke to him and I was like, so, and I, I'm an emotional person. And I'm like, so don't get overwhelmed, don't get emotional, don't overheat, just stay calm. And he was like, I really love your artwork. This is fantastic. You what you've done has really touched me. He was really moved and he was quite emotional when he was talking to me. And then his mum was there and she was, his wife was there and she was, it was an emotional moment. And I remember Gaylin saying, Selma, don't cry. So I didn't. And I said to him, I would love to talk to you more. I would love to one day cast for you, you know, from Tottenham to Compton, we can do something. Right about now, I've got no shoes on and I've left my daughter with a lovely lady that I don't know. So I've got to go. <laughs> so it was it was amazing to have that conversation, that brief conversation with him, take an image and just know that he loved the work. His mum loved the work. And his mum was like, oh, my God, the people in California would love this. And then I made a point of the next day getting... I think 2,500 of the images copied on postcards and I shipped them to America for children out there to have as a gift. That's amazing. On the back of that, because you know sometimes when something, I'm I'm emotional, it's really, it's a wonderful story. And I'm emotional too, because I'm a stupid like that. (laughs) When you have those big moments that are very career defining, personal defining, life defining, what do you do with that? Because sometimes I, I definitely in my career, I've had moments like, oh my God, and it's big and it's huge. And I think sometimes you think, people think you have that big break quote and then your life is roses after that. It doesn't always go like that. What happened post that, the glory of those pictures? Because the reality is you've got a business that needs to run. You've got a daughter that you need to raise and it doesn't always turn into accolades, but sometimes down the line, it's something that's on your on your tick box that actually makes sense but it doesn't always it's not always realized in the moment what was that moment like post black panther attention and so, to where you are today so what happened was is after that moment happened the next day was a friday morning and i was overwhelmed i was just overwhelmed with with everything it was just very intense and the two things that happened, which blew my mind. So remember, there was like a six month period that I had no work and I've done this. And I'm even though this big explosion happened, I'm broke, I have no money. And I'm sitting there thinking, you know, what's gonna happen next? The most beautiful thing that happened was my flat got sold. So I was able to pay everyone. That was the most important thing. Nice. So I paid everybody. Everyone was happy. Secondly, I was overwhelmed so much that it was a rebirth experience for me. And I shaved my head. 
I shaved all my hair off. Yeah. I said, right, yeah, and I, I don't know. And I said, take the scissors, cut my hair. I, got, I didn't trust no barber hairdresser. She just cut my hair off. She, was, she had a great time. Oh, mommy, this is great. <laughs> Cutting off, hair's all patchy. And I cut my hair off and I was shaved. I felt liberated. I felt free. I felt like, okay, now the world sees exactly what I'm here to do and what I want to say. And they've loved it. And this is beautiful. And I knew at that point that not everybody knew where, because the pictures went viral and, you know, not everyone knew where they came from. And I see people in America going, oh, these pictures, you know, created by children. And, you know, so for me, it was my gift to the world. It was about these pictures were never created to be sold or to be, it was just my gift to the world that for looks like me, looks like to me's gift to the world. This is what we're about. We're about representation. We're about empowering young people. We're about making black folk feel celebrated, feel that joy, that connective joy, that global joy. And so it, it allowed me to, yeah, I was, I was just overwhelmed and realized that with the powers that be with my ancestors by my side, above me, before me, I was able to do something that I just dreamt about and it became a reality. So how did that feed into where you are today? It was like a stepping stone, right? So there's lots of different steps of me doing, setting out a goal and doing what I need to be doing. From doing that, it led me to meet one of the, another remarkable woman, Jen Nakuru. So she saw the work. Yes. And then she connected and we can, we had a conversation, a brief conversation online and it was lovely. And um, she was like, yeah, we're going to work together one day. And I was like, yeah, amazing. And then there was one time she asked me, am I available? And I wasn't available at that point. I was like, God, damn. Like, but I said, you know what, what's for me won't pass me in it. It, it. Another, another moment will come that we can work together. And so what that journey, what that moment in life led me to believe is the most important thing I have within me is my willpower. Mm. My gift that I give to my daughter is the power is is what willpower looks like. Up until that point, it was a journey, and it felt like the film "The Pursuit of Happiness." Do you know what I mean? Like it was just hard. So I only showed the nice sides, but behind the scenes, it was tough to get to this point. Like every moment's like a you know a cliffhanging moment. So I thought, this is it. It can't get better than this, right? I've done something. Un- I've made the impossible possible. Mm. And then a year later, I receive an email. So no, actually, six months before I received this new, this different email, I, the, the, the song comes out, Brand Skin Girls. Yeah. And I was like, see, you see, why is it only these incredible people out here in the world that... I'm in alignment with, but they don't know me. I'm here in Tottenham, in the heart of Tottenham. Beyonce's over there, wherever she is. Ah, oh, imagine if she knew who I was. Yeah. I'd be casting for her, I'd be doing the thing, yeah? Ah, oh, and I dreamt about it and I prayed on it. And I believe in the power of prayer and I believe in, you know, dreaming and visualizing and doing the work to align yourself with your internal vision, right? So a year after I did Black Panther and six months later, I got this email and it was like, oh, are you available to do a small little project? And I was like, yeah, I'm available to do a small little project. And then the NDA came through and I read the NDA and I just started bawling. Oh my God. (laughs) 
And my, and my daughter's like, mommy, why are you crying? And I'm like, read, read this. So she reads it. She's like, oh, no. And I'm like, yes. And so, and what I do, I speak my dreams out. I'm a dreamer. Yeah. I believe, I talk a lot about dreaming because a lot of, I've been in the position once when I stopped dreaming. And when you stop dreaming, I, I'm, in, I'm in a place of pure survival. Yeah. So when you know the difference between when you're able to start dreaming, you're kind of living because you're able to see and think yeah. expansively. So I got this email. I was very quiet about it. But the joy inside of me, I'm like another explosion happening. It was like Black Panther all over. Like, pow. Yeah. Yeah. It was a full circle moment because I started Looks Like Me to illuminate the little black girl, the little brown skinned girl to the world. Yeah. And 2020, I was able to celebrate the fact that, but it, I wasn't just able to celebrate Jen Nakuru. I'm telling you, she's next level, next level type director. She saw me. She saw me for me. She saw yeah. my heart. She saw my skills, my creativity, and she made a point to celebrate me, give me my first credit without me fighting for it. Yeah. yeah. Selma Nichols looks like me casting. She speaks about me when I'm not in the room in her interviews. She works with me on multiple projects. And um, that's when Brown Skin Girl came out. And I was I had the honor to work and cast the children um, from the UK to be part of that. And yeah. That's amazing. Trust me. <laughs> this is this is definitely starting from the bottom now. I'm here. Do you yeah. know what I'm saying? This is, and then it's like. Sorry, just to go on forward, it was like, you know, the saying, the rose that grew from concrete to back. And it's like, <laughs> it was all a dream, you know. Yeah. I used to read Black and Beauty magazine. Yeah. You know, so it was all the lyrics from my childhood and all the songs like coming through and I'm living my ultimate dream. And so people say to me all the time, Selma, what is success? And for me... Success is just being able to do the thing that I love most, and that's casting. Yeah. That, there's no big, massive, I want to have a billion pounds in the bank, or I want to... It's just doing the work and working with the directors and the content and makers and creators that I want to work with. That's success. Consistent work doing what I love. That's it. What's happening now? What, what projects are you working on now? Um, so at the moment, I the first project, as I said, my first thing is mothering. So my th- first thing is supporting my daughter in her new transition of life. She's double figures now, and she is on tour, d- living her best life. In tour doing what? Excuse me? Touring yeah. what? She is the one of the young Nalas. Oh. <laughs> It's, 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 the, it's the I swear it's a UK rite of passage. If you're not a young Nala or a young Timber, what, yeah. what are you even an actor? No, it's the, it's the beginning. That's how, it's, it's how it all starts. A circle of life, right? So, um, yeah. so my first role is supporting her. Second role is making sure that I continue to pick to work with remarkable clients and work on projects that I truly believe in and know I can actually contribute something really special to, to the casting process. And so, yes, working with, I've got a few things in the pipeline that I'm working on and hopefully very soon I can speak about that publicly. But yeah, that's where I'm at. Just because I I was so enthralled by your story, we didn't get to talk about motherhood, essentially. Mother to mother. Yeah. And the fact that your daughter, I've got a daughter too, and she's your, your main driving 
driving force behind what you do. What is your relationship like with your daughter? The fact that she's stepping into this industry, which has got its nice side, but it's also got its very horrible side to it. How are you preparing her for it? Especially because you've got such insight into the highs and lows of it. So me and Rydian's relationship is its own show. Sure. Yeah. So we roll together. I mean, I'm a different type of person. I also have, I live with PTSD. So I say to people, that's my superpower. So the anxiety that comes with that, I channel in to the work I do, or I do sporadic things and say, oh, let's just go out. It's a summer's night. It's a school night. Let's just go to Selfridges and get ice cream. You know, like I just, I'm that mum in it. Like this, we, we break rules and we set things that work for us in our way. Me and Riley Ann, as I said, we're our own show. I listen to her. She is my, this is my main job to get right. You know what I mean? She's, that's my main job to get right. Like, yeah. And so I take it very, I, I, you know, so I need to make sure I move, walk, act correctly. I'm human. I make mistakes. I'm not perfect. Motherhood is something that I've figured out. I'm not, I do it my way. I create our own rules together. She listens to me. I listen to her. We clash sometimes because we have a similar personality of the willpower is strong. So we have a beautiful, loving, honest, open relationship. We speak about everything. There's nothing she can't ask me that I won't answer. And if I don't know the answer, I say, I don't know the answer and I go and figure it out. She, there's also vice versa that comes from her. So she'd be like, mom, you need to get married. Like, why are you not married? Right. You need a husband to help you with the shopping bags. Like, yeah. you know, so it's real. Like the, the conversations that we have. In regards to me doing casting, luckily she's, she decided from she was six that she wanted to be an actor. Okay. And that's because close friends of ours are actors. Anthony Adjikum, she's you know, he teaches her scripts, helps her with her reading and writing. And so with that said, when I've done castings, I've done quite a few castings where she may have put herself in the process that I would love to go forward for that. And she hasn't got it. And so I guess this industry is cutthroat because you hear more no's than you do any kind of yeses. And so it's harder when you're hearing a no from your mum as well. But then also, so she's learned from young that you're not going to get everything that you want. Yeah. But the main thing is you never give up. So, yeah, so she's quite resilient in that way of she'll cry and she'll be like, all right, then let's pick it up and let's carry on. So she's quite good at doing that. She she wants to be an actor and she believes acting involves a script. So there's no script. You ain't acting. Yeah. So um, she's not about just looking pretty and being in front of the camera. She wants to read a script, do voiceovers, animation. She wants to be in films. So that's one element of life and because she's so young only 10 that may change and she might have two three different kind of careers by the time she's my age so my main role in her life as a mother is that's the one job I should be able to get right so far I'm doing okay you know and I just hope that at 20 I can sit here and say to you you know what she's 20 now and she's living and she's nice and she's kind she's got a sunshine full of her soul is full of sunshine that's the main yeah, that's, that's my main role, is to make sure that she stays humble, you know, God is centre, and respect and manners. Listen, because <laughs> I know you're the same as me, literally twins, your daughter will be fine. My daughter's 21, and I can say that, <sighs> tick. Yeah. And say tick. Can anybody act? Can anybody act? My professional opinion is anybody can go to drama school or acting classes and learn the art form. 
some people are naturally born with that gift. Does that answer the question? Yes, it does. <laughs> yeah. So, and saying that, I was late to the party, but I watched back to back all of Snowfall, Dabson Idris. I'm telling yes. you, next level. So, for me, that there is natural talent. That there is natural amazingness, you know? Yeah. 100%. Um, oh, gosh. <laughs> Two hours. Because, you see, you see, because, okay. Obviously, I, I will not ask you to say who you think needs to quit now. I won't put you under that pressure. <laughs> I know, you, I know you have, I, I know you have thoughts on that. Are there any projects that you're like, I could have cast that better? Is that safe to answer? Well, do you know what? No, I, I mean, in regards to casting, and I believe that there are millions, you know, thousands of amazing casting directors out here that are doing phenomenal work. I have to also recognise I'm seven years in the game. You know, the casting directors, my peers have been doing it for 27 years, 35 years. So I would be, you know, you never, you never want to get too big for your boots. So there's, I can say there's, there's things that I've seen that I may cast differently but yeah i appreciate the process that cast and directors go through to creating the work that they put on screen you're so good at this All right. <laughs> quickly getting to know you before i let you go and have your life back a favorite book you have to have in your collection the 48 laws of power a song or album that defines the soundtrack of your life to date bad lady a film or tv show that you can watch or you have watched repeatedly no matter when it's on you watch it all the time a film that I watch repeatedly. Or a TV show, because something like, for me, I could like, if Crooklyn's on, okay. or where's Prada. Really to give you insight to who I am, Boys in the Hood. Boys in the Hood for me is a favourite and it always will be, and it will never get old. Love it. Fair enough. Yeah. The first stage production you saw and what it meant to you, and stage could be a concert, it could be a play, it could be anything. So the first show I saw was Jungle Book. I was about, do you remember Jungle Book? <laughs> back, way back. It was Jungle Book. I was about, I don't know, six, seven. And then the first concert I went to was Salt and Pepper. Yeah. I'm a real one. Yeah. Oh. There on my uncle, on my uncle, my auntie, and I was on my uncle's shoulders. And I remember I was like, I should not have been there, but I was tall for my age. And I was there at Salt and Pepper. And I must have been about 10, 11. I'm I jealous. As well, when I was about 10, 11. Yeah. I'm jealous. Okay, and finally, what's made you sad, mad, and glad this week? So start with sad, then mad, then glad. What's made me sad this week? What's made me sad yesterday? So I have a live-work space, and across the road from me, there's a family, and I've got, I think there's like two adult kids, and they've got a little girl, same ages, Riley Ann. They got evicted yesterday. Oh, shit. Yeah, and I saw that, and it made me sad for the whole day. I was like, you know, one minute they're, they're there, next minute they're gone, and it's like... Life can take you out at any time. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, that really touched me because, you know, you sit in your house and I look at my window and I see that family, like, and the function and then functioning each day. Yeah. It's just stillness. So that was really sad. Um, what did you say? What else what makes bad. me bad? Mad, mad, mad. Mad. Yeah. When I get, when producers um, email me, or when I communicate with producers saying, you know, I'm here, I'm ready to do the work. And they're like, oh, you know, when when the right project comes up, we'll contact you. And I'm like, right project? What does that mean? What does that mean? Like, what do you mean, right project? Because people box me and they're like, you know, we we'll go to her for the kids or we we'll go to her for the black people. And I'm like, here, mate, I'm here for everyone. Let me do the work. So when I get those emails saying, we'll get back to you when the right thing comes up, sometimes that 
touches a nerve. Fair enough. And what's made you glad? What's made me glad is I wake up every morning with a smile on my face. I'm grateful. I give gratitude for health, strength, life. My daughter's on tour and she calls me every morning, every night and seeing her beaming and her glowing and knowing that we're both just content with who we are in life. Yeah, that makes me happy. This conversation has made me very happy and glad and wonderfully, really, really emotional for no reason. And I don't know why you try to get to me. It's because your story is inspiring and it really is a real honest account of how life moves for people and the faith and conviction you need to keep it moving and having faith. I, I'm so glad we spoke. Extremely yeah. glad. Thank you, Soma. Where oh, can people kind of follow you, get and keep and know what you're doing and yeah, get asked by you? Me on either the website, which is www.lookslikeme.co.uk, or you can follow us on Instagram, looks like me casting, or yeah, looks like me casting, and it's the same on Twitter, looks like me casting, and LinkedIn. I think it's Selma Nichols. Yeah, you can check me out there. I'm here for the work. I'm here to work with some of the new amazing, there's so many directors that I want to work with, but you know, in time, what's for me will not pass me. So hopefully I'll collaborate with people that you've spoke to before. Excellent. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you so much.